I think it's super important for me, for anyone who's writing or speaking about Juneteenth to never leave out the word Texas. It Mm. started as a Texas regional holiday, period, point blank. Hi, I'm Eric, and this is For Colored Nerds, the weekly show where we peel back the layers of Black culture we rarely discuss in mixed company. This week, Brittany got to chat with Nicole A. Taylor, James Beard Award-nominated food writer, master home cook, documentarian, and cookbook author, whose work shows up in the New York Times, Bon Appetit, and Food and Wine. She's also written two amazing cookbooks, The Up South Cookbook and The Last OG Cookbook, based on the Tracy Morgan show, Last OG. Today, Nicole is here to talk about her newest cookbook, Watermelon and Red Birds, a cookbook for Juneteenth and Black celebrations, which is on shelves today. Go get it. I got a chance to speak with Nicole in 2019 for The Nod, and she is truly a delight. It was so much fun. I am so jealous that her and Brittany got to get into putting new twists on classic recipes, celebrating Juneteenth, and the deeper meaning behind the title of her book. Stay tuned for all that and more after the break. I promise you, you will be happy and hungry. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Nicole Taylor, welcome to the show. I guess I should say welcome back in a way because you were on the nod, but I didn't get to interview you. Eric got to interview you, but welcome. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're here to talk about your new book, Watermelon and Red Birds. It is such a gorgeous book. So well thought out. The recipes in it are so inventive and creative. And it's such a cool interpretation of Juneteenth. But but I want to start with like, why did you decide to write a cookbook about Juneteenth to begin with? Watermelon and Red Birds, a cookbook for Juneteenth and Black celebrations. Whew, wow, this book has been in me forever. But I will say I was 100% inspired by my lifelong time hosting parties, hosting dinner parties, hosting 4th of July gatherings, and over 10 plus years of getting people together for Juneteenth. And I was like, hmm, should I put this all in a book? Can I put this all in a book? Do I have enough recipes to really go deep on the Juneteenth holiday and other Black celebrations? But yeah, 100%, this book is just, it's just me. Mm. 
it seems like Juneteenth has long been a part of your life, but like describe your relationship to the holiday before writing this cookbook. Growing up, I didn't know anything about Juneteenth. I'd never even heard the word probably until I was in my late 20s. But I do know black celebrations. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know barbecue and I know pig in the ground. I grew up in Athens, Georgia, which is about 60 miles north of Atlanta and family reunions in the summertime always happened. Fish fries. I had a mm. great uncle who always did a fish fry and everybody in the neighborhood would be there. Church homecomings outside on the church grounds. Somebody would die and they would have a home-going mm-hmm. celebration. And those celebrations or the repast would often end with foods that totally mirror summertime celebrations mm. and more specifically Juneteenth celebrations. So the first Juneteenth celebration I attended crazily was in Fort Greene at Collier Gore Park, a little <laughs> pocket park. It's right at the subway entrance. And uh, a community-based organization was having a Juneteenth celebration. Um, and I talk about it in the book. And I went. And it was mm-hmm. everything, an outdoor Juneteenth festival celebration ran by a community event. Everything that you would imagine. You know, vendors, a stage, Kids performing, and there was a man there with these little horses, and kids were on it doing little pony rides. Great food. And I walked away because I have a photo, and it's me just smiling. I felt like, wow, this feels really good. So that actually was the first Juneteenth celebration that I attended. And from that moment on, I decided like, oh, I'm going to do Juneteenth every year. It's so interesting that you mentioned that because like I am from the North. I'm from Michigan, specifically from the Midwest. And it wasn't a part of my life growing up. And I would read about it in our textbooks in history class. (laughs) So like one of the only pages that they would have in my my history textbooks when I was growing up that would feature Black people during the 1700s, 1800s was of an illustration of the slaves finding out about Juneteenth, which shaky at best, I know, right? But then pictures, they would have pictures of Juneteenth celebrations from around the country. And I always wondered about it. I just kind of assumed over time, because I have met other people from the South who did celebrate Juneteenth. But it's really interesting to hear from you as someone who's from the South and has written so beautifully and developed recipes so beautifully around Southern cooking that you did not grow up celebrating Juneteenth. No. I mean, listen, you're lucky that you got the pictures in a history book. Uh, I knew nothing about June 19th, 1865. That is the date, the origins of Juneteenth. That is the day that General Granger arrived on the island of Galveston and told enslaved Texans, you're free. This was two years after Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation mm. Proclamation. Yeah, it's it's crazy that a lot of people don't know about it, but... Um, Just over the years, talking to people like you from the Midwest, from the South, from places like Alabama or even Georgia or South Carolina, they maybe didn't Mm -hmm. celebrate it, but they maybe heard the name. And more importantly, people who live in other parts, and particularly Black people who live in other parts of the United States, would be like, oh, when I was in high school, I went to a Juneteenth mm. celebration, and this was like in the 70s. And I think, not I think, I know one of the reasons why Juneteenth events are in places mm-hmm. like Brooklyn or Oakland or L.A. or D.C. is because of the Great Migration. 
So people, black Texans, like a lot of people, left the American South and they went to cities. And we know that a lot of those folks who lived in Texas tended to go into the Midwest or go to the West Coast. So in the 70s, you start to see the early 70s, the late 60s, a lot of public Juneteenth events. Mm -hmm. And I think that is linked to the Black Pride movement, more Black people in cities all over the U.S. wanting to do something to say that um, I'm Black, I'm proud, I'm here. But yeah, 100% the Great Migration is the reason why so many people who are living in the American South celebrate Juneteenth. I want to hear from you about the significance of the title. It is beautiful phrasing, watermelon and red birds. But I know that there's a deeper story behind, you know, the the selection of that title. Talk to us about it. Yeah, watermelon is a classic American summertime staple. I have fond and great and beautiful and funny memories around watermelon. And that is like going to the grocery store or waiting for the fruit man to come Mm. and me, my little body trying to carry the watermelon (laughs) or the watermelon in the backseat of the car (laughs) was in the trunk and then moving all around. (laughs) (laughs) And my whole goal is like get the watermelon in the house, right? And I'm watching that thing the whole time because I know when that watermelon is cut, like, you know, it's a communal thing. Everyone's going to gather around and have the watermelon. So, I wanted to to include that in, in the title. And red birds. Growing up, my mom would tell me if a red bird appeared and we were sitting in the house and looking out the window, she would be like, blow a kiss. Hmm. Blow a kiss at the red bird. That's the ancestors. That's someone in the family coming back to say hello. And if you blow a kiss back, it'll be good luck. And it's actually, you know, doing research with the book, it's, it's an, an indigenous American, American indigenous folklore or story that so many Americans have taken on, not just Black Americans, but, you know, tons of people. When I tell them their story, they're like, yes, yes, I've heard that before. But yeah, I've been searching for a name for this book. And literally, I was on the subway pre-COVID and it just popped out the sky. It just literally just fell in my lap. I had all these variations. Jubilee, <laughs> freedom this, Juneteenth this. Then I'm like, wait, Watermelon and redbirds. I didn't know until reading your book thing about the the redbird thing. I was born in Kentucky, even though I was raised in Michigan. And the state bird of Kentucky is the cardinal, which is like a very red bird. You see some representations of cardinals in your book. And so, you know, my mom always told me that when we see a cardinal, it's like a good luck thing. It means you're moving in the right direction. And I still believe that to this day. It's interesting to think about how far back something like that would go that it was something, you know, in Kentucky and that my mother, who was from Detroit, as her mother was also from Detroit, um, that that would be something that, you know, would also sort of exist in that line too. It's, it's, it kind of reminds me of, you know, how Juneteenth as a holiday is something that moves along through all these different regions of Black America because of the way that we continue to share and trade our, like, very regional customs. I mean, every time, you know, I was in a moment of like, oh my gosh, like 
I need to move forward with this book or testing a recipe, the bird would just appear. And not only is it just a symbol of like, keep moving, keep flying, but birds are so free, you know? And it's so symbolic just to see how they just kind of zoom down and then they fly back out and they move. And just to be a bird and to fly and Black people flying, it's just, (laughs) (laughs) there's so much symbolism in the red bird story. So um, it is a nod to the ancestors and it's also a nod to the future and a nod for, for us and for people just to continue to like chase freedom and, and to be 100% free. You've been thinking about this book and wanting to write this book since before Juneteenth became this national holiday. But I wonder what was it like to write this book as Juneteenth was becoming a national holiday? Because in the book, you reference feeling joy, but also, you know, some ambivalence even about the timing of when that decision was made. So, I mean, I'm going to give you kind of a long, short story is that, you know, I've been writing or producing some kind of content around the Juneteenth holiday and food for like 10 plus years. And some of it was intentional. A lot of it was not intentional. And I mm-hmm. remember the first piece I wrote for national publication from New York Times. Um, it was about mm-hmm. Juneteenth foods. My literary agent reached out and said, hey, this is like 2014, maybe 2015. No, it was at least five years ago. She was like, you should do a cookbook on Juneteenth. And I literally deleted her email because I was like, nobody is going to buy that book. This holiday is way too niche. And like, I'm going to have a hard time selling that. So I just kind of just pushed it in the back of my mind and Hmm. moving along in my career. And then I would, you know, every year or so start talking to her about like book ideas. And she kept coming back to Juneteenth. And I'm like, okay, I guess, do I have enough (laughs) recipes for this? Like, I don't know if this book is really going to sell. It's a lot of work to write a cookbook. And, you know, as much as a lot of my colleagues make it look easy, you know, you're spending two or three two or three years um, on a project nonstop. So Mm -hmm. anyway, to make a long story short, I started working on this in 2019. And then we all know what happened in the winter winter 2020. We were locked down. And uh, Mm. I also was jobless. And I was like, okay, let me get moving on this cookbook. And then George Floyd was murdered. And I was working on a story about how Black restaurants were surviving and thriving during the pandemic. And all the uprisings started to happen. And I'm like, wait, there's something else happening here. And Juneteenth was happening at the same time. And crazily, I had finished my proposal. And so my proposal was sent out to publishers (laughs) Like in a month or two time period of uprisings, George Floyd killings, Mm -hmm. Juneteenth being a holiday, it was really weird. And it felt, and I'm going to be honest, I felt like, okay, I just got a cookbook deal. Um, Should I be excited now? (laughs) Mm. But, you know, I always went back to this joy and I went back to the spirit of our ancestors in sorrow, Black people, Black Americans, we tend to always find, like, where the cookout at? <laughs> Who's making the <laughs> potato salad? So I, I I went back to that time and time again. But, um, yeah, 100%. It was, it was difficult writing uh, a cookbook 
in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of a mm-hmm. shifting environment um, around equity in, in so many different um, industries. But I got it done and I'm happy. How did you approach research and writing for this book? Because I know also like you ended up leaving New York at a certain point during the pandemic while I also assume you're writing this book. Like what was, how did you do all that? How did you maneuver through all that? Wow. Yeah. A lot of people think that, you know, writing a cookbook is just being in the kitchen and writing down recipes. That's 100% a part of it. But there's a whole creative process, at least for me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have to like explore, like be outside, go to museums, Mm -hmm. talk to other people, go to restaurants. Well, we know all of those things were restricted during COVID, but I managed to do some of them before I can even get in the kitchen or start writing head notes. So that's part one of my creative process is just just being. The other part is, you know, looking through my repertoire of recipes and figuring out like what I am going to put in the cookbook that's already in my canon. And then coming up with creative things. And then I get in the kitchen and I start making it and I then tell people, like, I got a bunch of leftovers. May I drop them off to you? Or I invite people over. We have to sit outside in the the fire pit because it's COVID. But it all worked out. And then the the third part is cookbook writers who are interested in creating narratives. So my cookbook would be a narrative, what people call a narrative cookbook. Then you have to sit down um, and figure out, like, what do I want to say about this recipe? Do I want to tell Brittany a technique here? Or do I want to talk to Brittany about a story? Do I want to give her a funny story? And sometimes you write really long and then (laughs) your editor says to you like, "Uh, you need to cut like half of this. (laughs) This is way too much info. And then on top of it, I wanted to, you know, we've talked, we're talking about a lot of serious stuff, but I wanted to make the book fun. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, this is Juneteenth. So I, I put in a lot of my personality. There are a lot of funny moments. People who have gotten the book in advance would text me. They're like, you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was very intentional about making the book, you know, um, full of what I call historical breadcrumbs. I give you enough where you can go off and go on your own go down your own rabbit hole, right? Yeah. And speaking, I know you you asked me about I I moved. Yeah. Crazily in the middle of the pandemic, my husband said, "Let's move to Athens." I'm like, "Wait, we're moving back to my hometown?" He's like, "It's just going to be for like 6 months and we'll come back." <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's been beautiful to be here part-time. I so we're we're splitting our time between New York City mm-hmm. and Georgia now, but you know, to be on 5 acres and see all of these trees, see all of the birds, and to uh-huh. write and to create has been a complete and total blessing and just you know, I'm 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 blessed to be able to do this. All right, y'all. I hope you have been enjoying Brittany and Nicole chatting it up. They're gonna take a quick break, but they will be right back with so much more. So come right back. We gotta pay some bills. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries 
and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta, because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Height of the pandemic, New York City. That was a very specific time. I think everybody was feeling cramped. Going from there to your hometown, like, did change of scenery kind of affect the way that you ended up writing this book, which is very much about Black Southern food culture? With my first cookbook, I did the exact same thing. I didn't move to Athens, but I came down here for like a whole month and was like shopping and cooking. But that cookbook is very much a narrative cookbook about me being like, I'm buying fancy Anson Mills grits and... I'm using wraps for this instead of spring onions, which is totally (laughs) fine. But moving here, coming home definitely grounds you. In the midst of so much change in America, I'm so grateful that I was able to go to Walmart and shop for the first time in 20-something years. Hmm. I had to put all of my, like, politics aside for a moment, and I wanted to see, like, What's in the grocery stores? What's in the regular everyday grocery stores? And I wanted to make this cookbook super accessible to anybody who wants to cook and wants to celebrate Juneteenth, Mm. um, no matter who you are and how much money you have. So um, being here and going to Publix and going to Bell's Food Mart, which is like a local grocery store chain, Kroger, I don't think I would have gotten the same book in New York just because everything is so much... You can just reach out and get whatever ingredients you want, right? Um, you know, or click yeah. on Fresh Direct and get what you want. So just in terms of me, like, getting out of the elite food media bubble for this book made yeah. it a simple cookbook. Approachable probably is, is the most important thing. And number two, listen, get an opportunity to see my mom almost every day who drives me absolutely mm. crazy. But on a good day... <laughs> She'll just drop out something and tell me about some food. And I'm like, ooh, what? Wait a minute, rewind that back. Or my aunt would be like, the base of the pound cake recipe 
um, in the book, the the radish and ginger pound cake came from my aunt. And she's been making that pound, a, a simpler version of the pound cake for years. And I asked her, who, where did she get it from? And she was like, oh, you remember this lady I used to work with named Money? She made your prom dress. That's who that recipe is from. I've been making that cake for like 20 plus years. And wow. I wouldn't have gotten that information if I'm just coming home for a weekend. But just being here injects more originality, more heart, more spirit, more of the ancestors. It did all that for this cookbook, for sure. I'm glad you brought up both the radish ginger pound cake and also how, you know, you wanted to make this cookbook approachable. That that leads me to my next question. You know, so often Black American cuisine, especially Southern cuisine, is about making the classics. Mac and cheese, <laughs> collard greens, potato salad, just you're making the classics precisely the way that your mom or your auntie or your grandma made them. Tradition often trumps experimentation. I mean, as a person who has brought an experimental dish to Thanksgiving <laughs> a time or two and then have people talk about me behind my back, <laughs> your own family, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this happened to a lot of us. Like, Tradition often trumps experimentation, but but in your books, especially this newest one, you really push the classics into new territory. The rhubarb barbecue sauce. I've been thinking mm. about that sauce. My mother was the first person to ever feed me rhubarb, right? But still, I think if I would have come to her and say rhubarb barbecue sauce, she'd be like, what? But if she tasted it, I think she'd be into it. I want to know, although the cookbook and many of the, the ingredients in the cookbook are, as you said, accessible and you could just buy them at, at most grocery stores, why is it important in your work to mess with the classics the way that you do? If you go to a bookstore or you go online to purchase what they call Black cookbooks, over the last five years, there have been so many amazing Black cookbooks that have come out. Like, Brian Terry has a whole slew of vegan cookbooks. So many of my colleagues have just really, really showcased Black Southern food, Black Caribbean food in a very beautiful way. And as I was writing this book and concepting this book, I was like, do we need another mac and cheese recipe? No, we do not need another mac and cheese recipe. I, I mean, like, and number two, like... How many people eat mac and cheese at their Juneteenth celebration? How many people are eating hot collard greens <laughs> at their Juneteenth <laughs> celebration, right? Mm -hmm. Or hot black eyed peas? I mean, so that's one of the reasons why, well, two reasons why I opted not to do the classics. I think they've been done. I think that we are in the, what I call the 3.0 of black cookbooks. And that means we can be free. We can be creative. We don't have to stick to the same old expected thing. And the other thing is I wanted to show the bounty of summer, the bounty of summer fruits and vegetables. And sure, in some places people are doing collard greens in the summer, but ain't no folks in Texas eating no collard greens, more than likely, <laughs> at no barbecue in the summertime. No. And then finally, I wanted people to get excited and be like, what? Rhubarb barbecue sauce? Let me give this a try. Ginger radish pound cake? Mm hmm Hmm. I can make this. I wanted people to get excited about it and not just be like, okay, this is great. This is such a beautiful cookbook and put it on the, on the shelves. So that was very intentional. And 
yes, there are sweet potatoes in the book. I mm-hmm. use sweet potatoes in my sweet potato simple syrup for yes. my spritz. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> for my spritz. I mean, so you see what I call the African-American long table or ingredients or dishes from the African-American table. You see them in the book, but they are decoded or they're coded and you have to decode them, right? Or mm-hmm. you have to be like, oh, Oh, that's what she, oh, that's the yams there, but it's not really the yams. Or when you see the collard green or and and mustard green pesto, that's your collard greens that you're putting into this beautiful, vibrant pasta salad. So, um I stuck to tradition, but I didn't st- stick to tradition. I stuck to foods that people who are home cooks or inspiring home cooks in the summertime, what they'll see in the grocery store or at a farm stand or at mm-hmm. their farmer's market. I made certain to have those ingredients sprinkled throughout the book in unexpected ways. I wonder, what was the most exciting dish to reinterpret through this book? The festivals and fairs chapter is one of my favorite chapters in the book. It's so fun. And my goal there was really to capture Americana like Americana Mm. fair and festival food. I love a corn dog. At least once a year, you know, like if someone has corn dog, you want to get a corn dog. But I thought really hard about like, what else could I make into a corn dog? And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I have these Japanese turnips. I should just dip these in this batter, put them on a stick. And so that is how the turnip corn balls were born and the baby zucchini corn dogs mm-hmm. were born. And so it is 100% a take off of, of Americana Festival and Fair Food, um, hands down. And people are like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Uh, and it's so funny because I was like, oh, I should make this fancy ketchup slash tomato jam. I'm like, nah, people won't ketchup for their corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> but I did sneak in a corn crema for those two vegetable, yes. two vegetable forward corn dog-ish type things. Yeah. <laughs> no, I loved that section, especially the inclusion of the big turkey leg. Like something that my mom used to do whenever we would go to the Michigan State Fair, which was like the highlight of my summer. Um, as she would get one of those, a couple of those big turkey legs because they were smoked and they were so good. And she would take them home and she would make, you know, a pot of whatever. It could be beans. It could be some type oh. of, it could be a lot of times green beans and white potatoes. She would put it together. But <laughs> with the turkey leg that she got from the state fair, she'd be like, oh, it's been smoked all day. Let's go ahead and get one. That was the whole point of that chapter. And it's to like conjure up, help people conjure up memories of their summer. Or Mm. really fun times with their family and friends. So, I mean, I'm glad that you shared that story. That's hilarious. That your mom put, (laughs) what'd she do? What'd she put a turkey leg in her purse? (laughs) You know, maybe actually, because my mom was a pretty heavy purse carrier now that I think back on it. I think she would put it in a bag, maybe carry it in her purse, or she maybe make my sister carry it. Or she might put it in one of our strollers and make us walk when I really think about it. I can't blame her for her ingenuity. (laughs) And you find those, listen, you find those turkey legs 
at so many different festival fairs, street fairs from mm-hmm. New Orleans to Michigan mm-hmm. to Atlanta, Sweet Auburn District. There's going to be one person there doing the turkey legs and also somebody selling fried fish. And the line is like long as hell. <laughs> That's why I have the fried fish in the book, too, because I'm like, come on. Every outdoor festival has a fried fish, man. Some type of fried fish. And also, too, I mean, even here, you know, Eric and I are one of our very close friends, Jason, who lives like a 15-minute walk from my apartment. He uh, does a fish fry in his backyard every summer. And it's like one of the things that we all look forward to the most. Fish fries are such a part of summer or warm weather, whether you're in you know, North America or the Caribbean, they're always, always, always such a thing. Which recipe in this book holds the most personal significance for you? In the salad chapter, you know, I talk a lot and I get choked up talking about this. Food is such a healer for me. It is, it makes me smile. Mm -hmm. It makes me burst out laughing. And it also can, you know, make me very emotional. I suffered from a stillborn pregnancy back about four or five years ago. And I delivered a a little girl um, Mm. at eight months. And I remember, like, I knew I was getting better. And I knew that that life would be better when I started to get up and go back to the kitchen again. So I wrote Mm. about that. I wrote about, like, how food can heal and how food and gathering with family and friends in like your lowest, deepest moments, it can mm-hmm. it can pull you out of that. And I think it was it was super important for me to, to write about that um, in a head note. And I I toyed with taking it out. I'm like, this is a mm-hmm. bit heavy. And then I'm like, no, this is a part of my story, and it's a part of a black experience. It's a part of what a lot of black women have experienced Absolutely. for generations and they don't talk about it. <laughs> so I included that in the salad chapter for one of the head notes, just kind of talking about how food healed me and being in the kitchen amongst family and friends is always my indication that all is well in the world and all is well with me. We see that connection with your family and friends and loved ones throughout all of the written sections of the, of the book, but also all these beautiful photographs. In the festival section, there is a gorgeous photo of your son smiling before he looks like he's about to go to town on on a corn dog. And, um, you know, also like during the drinks chapter, there's like so many beautiful photos of, it seems like you, your loved ones, your friends holding different beverages and having those conversations that you talk about us having in that chapter, whether it be about a new television show or whatever the gossip is around town. Maybe you need love. Maybe you need a laugh. Maybe you need some support. It was so nice to see that joy and that healing depicted on the page. Like, talk to me about your approach for how you thought about how you wanted the book to look and communicate the Black joy that you discuss in the cookbook. I remember the first image that I put on my vision board in terms of colors and imagery, is the Carrie Jane Marshall piece. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Picnic. It's vibrant colors. It's classic Carrie James Marshall. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that and was like, wow, I love the colors. And Solage's visual video, her last album, the colors in that really inspire me. And I wrote that down as like, I love the colors in there. So I use art around me as like 
a guide in what colors I wanted to use. Mm. And Jerry Williams, who was my prop stylist, who, I mean, I want I work with a lot of talented people during the photo shoot, but she, she was the secret sauce. She got it. She got it. She got the colors. So I credit her with like really bringing the life, the vision for the colors. I think one thing that I did on purpose, but not on purpose, is that I wanted to leave enough space so people could put themselves and their families in the book. You know, mm-hmm. typically in black cookbooks or in cookbooks in general, you see a lot of people. You don't see my face in the book at all. I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed that. It, it was like, I didn't know how to describe it. But it was like you would see somewhere between the hip and the shoulder is mostly what you see of you. Yeah, th- that was kind of like, I toyed so much. It was like, oh, I need to have a big celebration and so people could see me. But I'm like, why? Why do I mean, I want people to see the food. And I also want people to create their own memories. And I wanted to really like show the people who were most important to me at the time. And that's my husband and my son. So it kind of ended up that way. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but it was supposed to be that way. This is the first cookbook that's dedicated to the Juneteenth holiday. But I'm hoping that there will be more and you'll see more color and more people. As Stephen Satterfield said, he said, <laughs> "I this cookbook has the rigor of a, a MoMA exhibit. I mean, I'm not an artist in the sense of like, oh, I'm sitting like trying to conceptualize <laughs> stuff, but I did 100% kind of think about how I wanted readers to see themselves and to not see me and to see the food and let the food be the highlight. So that mm. was on purpose. And after I finished the photo shoot, George, He's a fabulous designer who also did the cover and the art direction for Brian Terry's Black Food. He's responsible for the illustrations in the book Mm. and for the design of the book. He did a beautiful job. And so, yeah, I'm happy. I know that this cookbook helps to push the boundaries of what Black cookbooks can look like. And so for that, I'm grateful. And I'm looking forward to more. Right. I think this just Mm -hmm. opened up the door. I'm just looking forward to more black cookbooks, more imagery from other people. Mm. I want to see your Juneteenth celebration. I want to see other people's Juneteenth celebration. I've taken up enough space talking about myself. And so, yeah, that was my way of taking myself out of the equation. I think regionality and cultural regionality is like a regional culture is, is like a huge theme, not just throughout Watermelon and Redbirds, but through all your work. Um, I mean, your first cookbook was about celebrating your Georgia roots while cooking in your Brooklyn kitchen. And this book is about a holiday that that really stems from Black Texans and, and Gulf area Black folks, even though it's celebrated by the descendants of Black American migrants throughout this country. How do you interpret and expand ideas around regional American Blackness through your work? I think the first thing to do is respect and acknowledge. That's always what I try to do is say, particularly around Juneteenth, um, I always start off the conversation saying, I'm not a Texan. I'm not from Texas. And acknowledging so many of my colleagues and friends who are born and raised in Texas and they can write or talk all day long about sausages in Texas, which is a whole thing. So 
I, in my work, I don't attempt to do it because I don't need to do that because there are other people that can do it way better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, don't, I hate to use the word stay in my lane, but just trying to be respectful. That's what I always try to do. The other thing in my work that I try to do throughout this book, this cookbook, in big ways and small ways, I throw it back to Texas. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 throw it, I throw it back to Texas in, in terms of talking about people who were key in making sure that Juneteenth became a nationally recognized holiday. Talking about Miss Opal Lee, talking about the state senator in Texas who back several decades ago was lobbying for Texas to be a state holiday, national holiday. I mentioned Emancipation Park. Talk about Austin. I just make sure that I'm always throwing it back to the origins, throwing it back to the Black people who credit may be erased over time. I think it's super important for me, for anyone who's writing or speaking about Juneteenth, to never leave out the word Texas. It Mm. started as a Texas regional holiday, period, point blank. I think, and I know that you will find all over the country Juneteenth celebrations. Not only will you find Juneteenth celebrations, there are others cities and states that have Emancipation Day celebrations that are not tied to June 19th, but they are loosely tied to Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. So that's important too, you know? I know a lot of people don't want to hear, they don't want to hear the history stuff. They want to just get to the fun stuff. And I'm all about that too. But I think when you just go on and get it out the way and whatever you do and constantly throw it back, throw it back to the origins, You've done well. All is all is well when you do that. What does Juneteenth mean to you? The way I feel on June 19th is how I should like feel every day. I strive for that feeling. That's a feeling of like joy, eagerness, happiness, anticipating goodness all day, beautiful colors, sunshine, good food laid-back cocktails, lushness, children's laughter, water, Mm. ice, like all those things that put a smile on your face. Juneteenth means that I can strive for that same feeling every single day. That feeling that I get on Juneteenth or that my ancestors, our ancestors, got on that day or people originally in Texas, what they felt, I mean, to me, it is a feeling. It is a day that we should take the essence and and sprinkle it into our our everyday lives. So to me, it means 365, 24-7 joy. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I mean, I'm be honest, if somebody cooked one of these recipes every day, they probably would experience (laughs) (laughs) 365, 24-7 joy. Well, Nicole... Thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a joy to finally get to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I I love what you guys do. One of my favorite podcasts ever. Thank you. Thank you so much. For Colored Nerds was created by me, Eric Eddings, and Brittany Luce. It's supported by a production team at Stitcher, including producer Alexis Williams, story editor Gianna Palmer, social producer Elise Ellis, and engineer Marcus Hamm. Our theme music is by Willie Green. 
And look, y'all, we love hearing from you so, so much. So please shout us out on Instagram at For Colored Nerds, on Twitter at For Colored Nerds. You can find us everywhere at For Colored Nerds. And tell your friends, too. We love it also when we're like, yo, my homie, cousin, best friend, told me to listen to this episode and it was bomb and then I subscribed that's like my favorite song so please do your do your friend do your community a favor and share an episode and tell us which one it was dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.